Amen. Let's say the prayer that we pray every week. Amen. Put your hands in your eyes. Say, Holy Spirit, give me 40 vision that I might know the heights, the depths, the length, and the breadth of your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you're ready, high five three people. Come on. Amen. Welcome to our series, Revelation, God's Magnum Opus. And we are now on our ninth week. We are in the third part of the division of the book. Amen. Today's message, and it will continue to next week, is Rapture to the Throne. And I believe that today's a very important message. In fact, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures. And today, we're going to be speaking on a topic, topic that is so controversial. It wasn't to, um, controversial a long time ago, but with the invent of the internet and all the garbage people post and, and all this, and everyone's an expert now. If you have 20 videos, you're an expert, even though you, you don't know anything, amen? But, so let's, let's begin. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. These are the words of Jesus to John. And what you find in verse 19, which we just read, is a divine outline of the book of Revelation. He told John, write the things which thou hast seen. And at that moment, he was seeing the vision of the risen Christ. And then he says, John, and then write the things which are. And he writes in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, this letters to the seven churches. And that's what we covered the first eight weeks. And then the third week, or the third outline, if you will, the third division of the outline that Jesus gives, he says, and write the things which shall be hereafter. And in the Greek, he says, metatauta, which means hereafter, after these things. And chapter four begins with metatauta. And from chapter four to 22 is the third division. And guess what? That's where we're at today. We, in our ninth week, we are in the third division of the book of Revelation, and we'll be here for a while. So let's go to Revelation chapter four, verse one through two, and let's read it. After this, I looked, and behold, oh, let me stop right there. I haven't even got more than a sentence. Interesting. Underline after this. It is the Greek word metatauta. It's the word Jesus told us to look for, so we now know this is the third division. After this. And then let's read. And behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee these things which must be hereafter. Underline hereafter, guess what word that is? Metatauta. So the verse begins with metatauta, and it ends with metatauta, which means hereafter or after these things. And what we find is that the Apostle John in verse 2 is literally translated into heaven when he says after this twice, in the beginning of the verse and at the end of the verse. The word metatauta means hereafter, after these things, but you have to ask yourself, after what? What should happen after what? Well, it's after the church age. You got to remember that there were no chapters and verses when this was written. It was one long letter. And the moment John's dealing with the church, then Jesus says, metatauta, after these things. After what things? After the church age. Say that with me, after the church age. That's literally what metatauta means. And it's interesting because verse 1 also ends with metatauta, and there's a heavenly voice that declares, I will show the things which must be hereafter. Again, hereafter what? Well, again, the context suggests hereafter the church age. Because now, Jesus in chapters 2 and 3, seven times, he declares to each church, you're going to remember this, he that hath an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says unto the church. He said this seven times, exactly the same. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, verse 11, verse 17, verse 29, and then in chapters 3, verse 6, verse 13, 20, verse 22. Seven times he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the what? The churches. The churches. Now, why do I find that fascinating? Because chapters 6 through 19 is all about the tribulation, and the church isn't mentioned once. But in Revelation chapter 39, something is said that should sound familiar to you, but it's different. It's directly in the middle of the tribulation, and there's a call to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit during this time. Let's turn to Revelation 3, 13, 9, 
And as you look at it, let's say it together. Let's read it together. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Let's read it again. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Notice it's the same thing Jesus said to the seven churches, but something's very different about this one. He doesn't say, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He just says, let him hear. The context is in the middle of the tribulation. Why? Because the church isn't here. The church has been raptured up in heaven. Wow. That's the only explanation. And and this is controversial what I'm saying now. Because so many people don't believe in 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 a rapture because of YouTube are because of what someone who told them was very uninformed. You know what, let's do this. Let's, even Hollywood believes in a rapture. Let me play you Hollywood's version, here it is. Buy something for your mother. Yeah, well I guess you got it, huh? This cash register lady is mean, I have anxiety. Will you buy this for me when I'm stoned? I can't do this. I think I'm just gonna head back to your place. I'm not really liking it very much over there, Franco's. Dude, I want you to get to know these guys. That's never going to happen if you don't put in any effort whatsoever, okay? I hate it in there. I just want to drink some pop and smoke some weed. interesting that Hollywood's eschatology is better than most theologians. Even they show that the rapture happens before the tribulation. Now, I don't encourage you to watch the movie. It's very blasphemous, but that part, they got it right. Come on. So in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, the rapture of the church is actually symbolized by the apostle John being caught up. In fact, in verse 1, he hears a heavenly voice that sounds like a trumpet saying, come up here, and he's caught up to heaven before the throne of God. That sounds so familiar. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17. It says, and this is in regards to the rapture. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Say, trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Notice that John heard a trumpet in Revelation 1. It said, hey, come up higher. And when he, when he went up, he goes and he sends to heaven. All of a sudden, he's before the throne room of God. Isn't that very similar to what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? And the word that's used in 1 Thessalonians is the word caught up. Say caught up. You might want to underline it there because it is the Greek word hapazo. And the word hapazo is defined as to seize. It means to carry off by force, to seize on, to claim for oneself eagerly, to snatch, our, to snatch out our way. It's a very strong, violent term. It means to just grab eagerly out of the way. Now, Let me give you a definition of the rapture. This is my definition. It's the idea that Jesus Christ will return for his true church just before the beginning of the great tribulation in a secret gathering are catching away. Again, we call it the rapture. Now, here's where it gets silly. You'll get people who will say, well, you know, I don't believe in the rapture because the word rapture isn't in the Bible. And then they write all these videos and these blogs, and you know, it's funny, and then people believe that. Hello, that is simply not true. The word is 
in the Bible. The word rapture is in the Bible. Let me give you an example. Um, but I need to explain this to you. The English word rapture, or being caught up the way it's in the King James Version, is derived from the Latin language. When St. Joan penned the Latin Vulgate, who lived approximately 347 to 419 AD, he used the word rapimir in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Now, a lot of you don't read Greek. I had to sing in Greek when I was a college, so I can read it. Let's read it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Notice that word rapimir. That is the word rapture. Say rapture. So for someone to say that the word rapture is in the Bible, they're wrong. They're just very ignorant because the word rapture, it's actually the word rapimia in Latin and rapture is the English derivative of rapture. So yes, rapture is in the Bible. Amen. Now, again, um, I want to release to you three rapture theories and um, so that you can understand this. Again, we're going to be talking about raptured up into the throne. That's what this whole, this is what this all, the next few minutes is about. The first rapture theory, it's called the pre-tribulation rapture theory. That's what I believe. Now, you don't have to believe it because I do, but I'm the one up here, so you'll hear a lot about it. So, amen? And so here's what the pre-tribulation rapture theory says. The church will be raptured to heaven with Jesus before the seven years of tribulation. The church will come back with Jesus at his second coming in Revelation 19 after the tribulation to reign with him for a thousand years. That's exactly what I believe. But there's more theories. And as I begin to go through this series, you're going to begin to understand where people come up with this stuff. The second is the mid-tribulation theory. Amen. The mid-tribulation theory is that the church will be raptured to heaven in the middle of the tribulation. Therefore, the church will experience some of the tribulation, but will avoid the wrath are the worst part of it. There's a lot of people that believe this. Then you have the post-tribulation theory. This has probably become the most popular. There's, and here's what it states. There's always has been, there always will be tribulation for true believers throughout history, but this tribulation may intensify in the end time. The church will be raptured to heaven at the end of the tribulation, at the second coming of Christ. So basically, the post-tribulation theory teaches that there really is no rapture, that we're getting the second coming mixed up with the rapture. So Anybody who believes in post-tribulation theory, really, they're conflating the rapture with the second coming of Christ. In other words, what they're saying is they believe they're the exact same thing. Somehow, we got it wrong. Those scriptures you're using for the rapture, well, they're for the second coming, and they're the same event. But anyone who will look at the verses for the rapture, sorry, you guys, I just lost my notes here. That's not good. Let me pull them up again. Thank God for technology. Amen. When I grabbed it, I actually hit escape. Well, see, rapture. See, even my notes are, are rapture. Right? The great escape. Oh, there we go. Okay, so people are conflating the second coming with the rapture. And what I want to do, if you notice, I actually made a little chart for you. Notice it has rapture and then it has the second coming. If you look at the second, if you look at them and analyze them properly, you'll see that they are different. They're two separate events. Let me briefly go over them. For example, the rapture is mostly covered in First, first Thessalonians chapter four and First Corinthians fifteen. Because I don't want to say the verses over and over again. The second coming is clearly covered in Revelation chapter nineteen and Zechariah chapter fourteen. So I don't want to constantly keep saying those, but let's look at the, the two examples, the two verses. So if we look at rapture, according to 1 Thessalonians, Jesus is coming for his bride, the church. But in the second coming, the bride is with him, coming back with him. In the rapture, we're told that the believers are caught up with Jesus in the air. But in the second coming, we're told he actually touches his feet on the ground, actually the Mount of Olives. In the rapture, the Christians are taken first. The unbelievers are left behind. What's interesting in the second coming, the believers that are still on earth are kept here and the unbelievers are left behind. If you understand that. Four is that in the rapture, Jesus presents the bride to himself and the father. But in the second coming, he's actually bringing judgment to the world. A different agenda. In the rapture, the marriage of the lamb happens in heaven. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. But 
during the second coming, the marriage supper of Jesus and his bride consummates are after the second coming. In fact, you can read that in Revelation chapter 19. It starts with the marriage supper of the Lamb while evil's going on earth. Now, saints, how can we have a marriage supper if, if we're up in heaven with Jesus? And then we come back with him as his bride. So we're, out, we're obviously in heaven while that's happening. The marriage supper of the Lamb is happening during the tribulation. Are you following me? Now, these details are important, saints, because many people are being deceived right now. And how you look at the, at the, how you view the rapture will affect how you live your life. I'm serious. Your eschatology will affect how you live, your Christianity. Now, notice um, number six. The rapture, it happens in the what? The twinkling of an eye, right? How many of you have heard that, right? Happens in the twinkling of an eye. Notice in the second coming, it's not a twinkling of an eye. It's a slow return. Everybody is able to see him. Come on. See, some of you, you're about to wake up. You're getting this. The rapture, only Christians will see him. But again, in the second coming, in Revelation 1, 7, it says, every eye will see him. Number eight, the Bible says during the rapture that Jesus descends with a shout. In Revelation 19, in the second coming, there's no shout mentioned. Hey, these are very much differences. How dare, how can you say these are the same events when they are so different? The only difference is Jesus is there. That's the only difference. Or the only similarity, excuse me, the only similarity is Jesus is at both events. The rapture, there's a resurrection. The Bible says, for the dead in Christ shall what? Rise first. Then we which are alive, right? Well, during the second coming in, in um, Revelation 19, there's no resurrection mentioned. There's nobody rising from the dead. Number 10, the rapture can happen at any moment. We call it imminent. In fact, we call it the doctrine of imminence because according to Revelation 3, 3, 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 6, it can happen at any time. Well, guess what? The second coming, we know exactly. It can't happen at any time. It happens exactly seven years after the tribulation. Come on. Come on. Thank you. I appreciate that. Number 11, at the rapture, there's no angels being sent for the resurrected, raptured saints, for the resurrection, those who are dead and we who are alive. But in the second coming, Matthew 13, 39, um, for 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, there's actually angels that are sent to gather all the wicked, to separate them from the, from the good. Number 12, the spirits of those dead in Christ arise during the rapture, but during, again, second coming, there's no dead bodies, right? We're Coming back with him. We're already with him. Here's another interesting thing. During the rapture, Jesus isn't riding a white horse. He's in the sky. But during the second coming, he comes back in the sky on a what? Can you guys see that these are different events? But you got to remember, anyone who believes in a post-tribulation rapture, they believe these are the same events. They believe you're confusing them. Number 14. The rapture is only for the church. But the second coming, according to Romans 11, 25 through 27, is for the redeemed Israel and the Gentiles. Number 15, the rapture is a message of hope, according to Titus 2, 13, 1 John 3, 3. But the second coming, it's a message of judgment. Joel 3, 12 through 16, Revelation 19, 11 through 21, and Malachi 4, 5. So you can see that these are two different events. Very clearly to me. Now, let me give you the rapture. There's this rapture controversy that's online. It's been there for a while. All over the internet, there are many articles and videos that claim, are you ready for this? That the rapture doctrine was invented in 1830 by a man named John Darby. You know what? Before we can go, I mean, and there's tons of Christians that quote this stuff. Like, now, do you really believe that the rapture was made up by a guy named John Darby in 1830? Well, what was Paul writing about 2,000 years ago then? I mean, just stop there. But John Darby, many people know he, he um, has this wonderful translation of the Bible, um, has one, these wonderful notes, and he's the one who really made, remember, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you understand history. A lot of doctrines were lost, and it was people like John Darby who began to teach the church again, because remember, for a thousand years, you couldn't even read the Bible. For a thousand years, you heard the, in fact, you heard, if you were Catholic, you did not hear the, the sermon in English until 1970. Some of you don't even know that because you're too young. So even though, even after, long after the Reformation, Catholic people, they didn't know what they were hearing. You, I used to go as a little boy because some churches were still carryovers. And I go there and I say, Grandma, what did he say? I don't know. I speak Spanish. I go, I thought it was Spanish, you know. Anyways, 
Many falsely claim that, listen to this, this is what they say. How many of you have you heard what I just said right now? You've heard people saying that it was a made-up doctrine in the 1830s. If you study, you'll hear all this craziness. Many falsely claim that in all the writings of the Scripture, the early fathers in the ecumenical councils, there is no mention of the second appearance of Christ. In other words, that the only time we hear about Jesus coming in the rapture is 1830 by John Darby. Well, you're talking to the wrong person because I am a scholar, and I'm a geek, and I'm one of those guys who read the early church fathers. And so the early church fathers are saying, who are they? They are the disciples of the disciples. They're the earliest Christians. So we read the writings because they're close to early Christianity, right? And so what I'm going to do, because I know you don't have the time, nor would you know to look, I'm going to give you three quotes from early church fathers from over 1,500 years ago talking about the rapture. Ready? Here we go. The first early church father who mentions the rapture. Remember, because supposedly no one talked about it until 1830. You have... The early church father, Irenaeus, 130 AD to 202 AD. Now, remember, I just said 130 AD. This is only 30 years after the book of Revelation was written. Irenaeus was a bishop of the church in Lyons, France. He was an early church father and apologist. His writings were formative in the early development of Christian theology. He was a disciple of Polycarp. Y'all remember him? He was the bishop of Smyrna who was killed for his faith. Remember? He said 76 years or 86 years the Lord did me right, and what did I, he ever do wrong to me? And he was... He was killed, remember? We talked about his death. Well, he was a disciple of Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John. So this guy's only one generation away from John, who we're about to read his writings. Irenaeus is most known for his five-volume trustees against heresies in which he exposed the false religious and cults of his day, along with advice for how to share the gospel with those who were a part of them. On the subject of the rapture in his book against heresies, here we're going to quote it right here, in chapter 5, verse 29, he wrote, now for time's sake, I'm going to go just to the highlighted areas. Notice what it says, and therefore, when in the end the church shall be suddenly caught up from this, it is said there shall be tribulation such as not been since the beginning, neither shall be. Here's a guy writing, only born 30 years after the book of Revelation was written, and he's telling you, no, the church will be caught up, and then the what? Tribulation will happen. Now, this goes, flies directly in the face of all these supposed scholars who say none of the early church fathers believed in a pre-trib rapture. They all believed in a post. That is just ridiculous. Let me quote from you another. And you know what? I would write this down because you might meet someone who will say, prove it to me. So I hope you're writing these notes down. You're taking these notes that you're really listening. Cyprian. 200 AD to 258 AD is when he lived. He was the bishop of the church in Carthage. During his short stint as leader of the church, he guided the flock through intense persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire. In 258 AD, after spending seven months of confinement to his home by order of the Roman authorities, he was beheaded for his faith. Remember, he was living during the time of the persecutions. So if he he could have easily believed that it was the time of the end, because, or it was the time of the tribulation because he literally was in that time of persecution. Are you hearing me? But that's not what he believed. Several of his works still exist today. In Trustees of Cyprian, he wrote in describing the end times great tribulation. Now remember, this guy is experiencing a tribulation, if you will, in his day. People are dying left, right, including he ends up dying. But did he believe he was in the middle, middle of the big tribulation? No, check this out. Here we go. We who see that terrible things have begun. No, he's talking about his day because they were killing Christian life. He goes, we're looking, we're seeing horrible things happen to us. And know that still more terrible things are imminent. Notice that word imminent. See, it's through the doctrine or the, the, the letters of the early church fathers. We come up with the doctrine of eminence. Eminence basically means he can come at any moment. There's, not, there's no scripture that has to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back. Terrible things are imminent. May regard it as the greatest advantage to depart from it as quickly as possible. Do you not give God thanks? Do you not congratulate yourself that by an early departure, you are taken away and delivered from the shipwrecks and the disasters that are imminent? So here, even though they're going, he's encouraging them. I know some of you are dying right now, but this ain't the day that's going to come. Aren't you glad that you won't see that horrible day? This is good stuff. Let's look at Ephraim the Syrian. Again, he lived from 306 AD to 373 AD. He was made a deacon in the church in Syria in 338 and later became the bishop of Nisibis. Although he was made a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, 
He was not involved in Catholicism, and he didn't even live in the Roman Empire until the final years of his life. The book Pseudo Ephraim was one of his still existing works. It's called Pseudo because of his later dispute over authorship. However, the book's one reference to the rapture is very compelling. Let's look at his work on the last times. Remember, this is written over 1,500 years ago. And according to these fools that are on the internet saying, the early church fathers, they didn't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture and they never preached about it, never talked about it. Well, here's the third proof of something that's older than 1,500 years. Let's read their writing. It's kind of interesting to read a Christian who lived that long ago, huh? Here we go. We ought to understand thoroughly, therefore, my brothers, what is imminent. Notice, here comes the word imminent. And whenever you see that word imminent, it's in regards to the rapture of Jesus Christ. Our overhanging... Already there have been hunger and plagues, violent movements. Now remember, he's living, he's living during the 10th persecution. He doesn't have the freedom of religion. That won't come for a few more years, okay? But he's saying we're already seeing a bunch of crazy stuff happen in our day. But let's keep reading. Already there have been hunger and plagues, violent movements of nations and signs, which have been predicted by the Lord. They have already been fulfilled or consummated. So they're already thinking that, According to the day he was living, he's saying, man, we've already seen the signs. We're, we're ready for the Lord. Did you know that the early church fathers and the disciples believed that the Lord could come any moment? They were waiting for Jesus coming? That's a, okay, that's a whole other example. I kind of get off my notes how you know that the tribulation or the, rap, rap, the rapture is different from the second coming because they were all expecting the Lord. And notice what he says. Let's, keep, let's go down a little bit down. Woe to those who desire to see the day of the Lord. Okay, let's stop there. He says, woe to those who desire to see the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the tribulation. We have a lot of people today who, who desire to see the, the, the day of the Lord. There's many people preaching. There's no rapture. They want, they got their guns ready. Come on, they got 15 shotguns. They got um, five years of ramen with some cans of soup. And they're ready to, to fight the, the Antichrist. And the Bible says, no, woe to those who, who are longing for that day. Notice what it says. He says, for all the saints, say all the saints, and the elect of God are gathered prior to the tribulation that is to come and are taken to the Lord lest they see the confusion that is to overwhelm the world because of our sin. So here you have a guy, an early church father, clearly saying that, no, we're taken off of the earth before the tribulation. Come on. And the great gathering that's imminent. And you're saying, Pastor, why are you quoting people 15,000 or 1,500 years ago? Because the early church fathers were disciples of the disciples. So they would have heard the commentary of the scripture, and that's what they would have believed. Did you just hear what I said? It's good stuff. So I'm going to give you today 13 reasons. We're not even going to get out of verse 1. You're only going to, we're only going to stick with verse 1 of chapter 4. And then I'm going to cover the rest of the verses next week, Okay. But I want to give you 13 reasons. Come on, pinch your neighbor. I need you to stay awake. I need you. I know that this, you need to know this stuff. You need to understand. And you need to know in the Bible because people are going to challenge you. We are now becoming in the minority, those who believe in the rapture. Because we're becoming, I think a lot of people don't want the uh, rapture to come because they simply aren't ready. And they live like the devil. And to think about a rapture would make them have to repent because they'd have to prepare for it. Come on, talk to me. Right? Now, I want to give you two. This is, we're, oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to give you two misunderstandings why people think we're going to the tribulation. Let me give you one right now before we get into the 13 reasons. Matthew 24, they quote Matthew 24, 21 through 22 as saying, we're going through the tribulation. Let's look at it. Here we go. For then shall be great tribulation. So we know Jesus is talking about the great tribulation. Such as what not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So they go, see, the church is going through the tribulation. Jesus talked about the tribulation and he mentioned the elect. The church is the elect. Brother, see, we're going through the tribulation. Uh, stop right there. You got to rightly divide the word, word of truth. There are three elects. Let's give you the verses. The first group of elects are Christians, believers. Colossians 3, 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God. So we are the elect, but there's a second group of elect. Are you ready? They're called Israel. Isaiah 45, 4 says, for Jacob my servant and Israel mine elect. Now there's a third elect. Are you ready? Those who get saved during the tribulation. Those are also the elect found in Matthew 24, 22. So you have three elect. The church is the elect, Israel's the elect, and three 
is those who get saved during the tribulation. They're called elect because they get saved during. So you have to ask yourself when you read a verse, it, what elect is it talking about? Now, Matthew 24, I hope you look at me really good. This is good stuff. Matthew 24, all scholars point to it because Jesus gives a revelation. He, he basically gives an outline of the book of Revelation in, cha in chapter 24. 24 is all about the tribulation, and he gives an outline. So we just read, he said, he's going to shorten the days for the elect. But he tells you who the elect are in the verses before. Remember, one of the rules of biblical interpretation is context. Now, so let's go to verse 19 through 20. He tells you who the elect are. Come on, let's look at this. Then let them, this is Jesus, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Saints, I don't know about you, but I live on 19th Street and Baseline. I live by South Mountain, not in the Judean mountains. The Judean mountains is in Israel. And he says, they that are in Judea, flee to the mountain. You know, flee to the mountains. Come on, right? What's my point? He's talking to the elect, but he's talking to the Jews. He's not talking to you. Why? Because during the tribulation is when God deals with the Jews. The church has been taken out. Because he promised all of Israel be saved. And you know the only way they're going to be saved? By persecution. And all of a sudden, when Jesus comes back in Revelation 19, all Israel is saved. Because they believe, they see whom they have pierced, and they all weep. But it's going to take tribulation for the Jewish people to come to him. That's what, okay. But do you know there are some people who believe in this, that we're not going to see a rapture so strong, you know what they teach? Oh, it's because in the last days, all of us Christians are going to move to Israel. Brother, you can't even afford Israel right now. You can't even afford. How many of you can afford to fly to Israel? Let's be honest, right now. If you can, please pay more tithes. Can we need them? Thank you. By the way, Brandon, it's good to see you. I love you, man, all the way from Afghanistan. Yeah, he can afford it, brother. You're taking me to lunch today. No. The third group, oh, no, no, we already said that. Now, let's keep reading. We're reading Matthew 24. I got lost my track. Verse 19. And woe unto them that are with child. So, Obviously, if you're about to experience the Antichrist, head cut off, and you have a child, it's hard to run with a child, right? And to them that give suck in those days, verse 20, but pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Gentiles, we don't care whether it's the Sabbath day. If you can about to cut my head, I'll run on a Sabbath day. I'm not moved by the Sabbath day. Heck, it's Sabbath day, I don't care. I'm running because on Sabbath day, you can't do nothing. Jews aren't allowed to do anything. They have to rest even under persecution. So he says, you better pray. It's not on a Sabbath. Okay, saints, follow me. He's talking about the tribulation. And in context, it's all about who? What group of people? Jews. I hope you're paying attention because people will sit and teach the same chapter and say, that's you. Or they teach replacement theology where it says Jew, that's the church. And I said, that's a blasphemy, heresy, because God promised all Israel will be saved. Can I give you one more nugget that will, you got to load this. Write this one down because you won't remember it. Here's what they say. They'll read all of Matthew 24 and they say, notice Jesus talks nowhere about the rapture there. Only his second coming. And you know what? Ta-ting, they're right. But there's a reason for that. I hope you're listening really close. Because according to the Apostle Paul, the rapture was a mystery given to him. He says, behold this mystery, we shall not all die. But in the twinkling, right? Jesus can't write about the rapture because it wasn't given to him. It was given to the Apostle Paul later. Or else, why would Paul call it a mystery if Jesus already spoke about it? I hope you just heard what I said. The reason why it's not mentioned, rapture is not mentioned in Matthew 24, because it wouldn't be given for another 30, 40 years to the Apostle Paul, and he said it was a mystery given to him. Amen? So, of course, you're not going to find it in Matthew 24, but you'll find it in Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17. Amen, amen, amen. That's extra credit. Drop the mic. No, okay. Second misunderstanding area. I haven't even gotten into the 13. I'm trying to explain to you why people don't believe in a rapture. Or they believe it's the second coming. They read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Watch me. They're, they're real logical, but their logic is, I'm sorry, it's a stupid logic. 1 Thessalonians chapter 15, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, say last trump. I always find that interesting. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, 
People who don't believe in a rapture, they believe the second coming is the rapture at the end of the tribulation. They say this. See, he's coming at the last trump. That means we go through the tribulation. And you know why they say that? Because they've read the Bible. They read Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And in Revelation 11, 15, it's the seventh angel sounding the seventh trump. And it happens to be exactly in the middle of the tribulation. So they go, see, the last trump doesn't happen until the middle of the tribulation. So therefore, we're going to be there. Now you know where people come up with mid-trib. Are you following me? That's why I said if you follow, you're going to understand a lot today. Now, I'm sorry. Let me put on, let me be nice. That is the dumbest logic I've ever heard. You're going to say, why? Why is that, Pastor? I don't mean to be mean, I, but, you know, it just irritates me sometimes. Because when the Apostle Paul, that's why you need to, okay, when you read your Bible, will you please read the introductions, the dates, and when they were written and all that? That helps you not to make foolish mistakes like this is. The book, if we look even here, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it was written in 56 AD or 56 AD. The book of Revelation was written in 95 AD, almost 30, 40 years later. You're saying, what's, why is that so important? How can Paul be talking about a last trump that's not even written yet? The seven trumpets have not, there's, they don't even exist yet. They're not even in writing because it, it, Paul's going to, or John's going to write that later. It's the last book, which we're studying right now. So to say that Paul was referring to the seven trumpets of Revelation is foolish because they weren't written. That should end the argument right there. Secondly, is when you read it really closely, in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15, it says, and the seventh angel sounded. Who's sounding the trumpet? Who, who's sounding it? The seventh angel. Say the seventh angel. Well, when you read 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, it's not an angel that sounded this trumpet. It's the trump of God. It's God sounding the trump. There's a big difference between God and an angel. If Michael's sounding the trump, I'll say, look at God just sounded it. No, that's not God, brother. That's an angel. During the rapture, the trump of God, God's own trumpet. Are you hearing me? Come on, this is good stuff. Now, so let me explain to you. What is the first trump? The first trump is found in Exodus 19.16. It's when God made a covenant with Israel, and he gave them their Ten Commandments. And you know, you know what they heard on top of the mountain? A supernatural trumpet sound was made because the first trump was the call to Israel to God. The last trump is the rapture. So the first trump is for Israel. The last trump is for the church. Are you following me? God hasn't played his trumpet in almost 3,000 years, but he's getting ready to. And it's his last call. Come on, amen? Some would say the fat lady's about to sing, but that sounds rude, amen? <laughs> so let me give you 13 reasons why I believe the rapture's happened before the tribulation. I've already given you quite a few already, but let's continue. Number one, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, listen to this. He talks about the, about the rapture, excuse me, and then he says, wherefore, Comfort one another with these words. Here's the number one reason why I believe in a rapture before the tribulation. Because the doctrine of the rapture is to be a comforting one. The belief that the rapture happens in the middle or after the tribulation is anything but comforting. In fact, it's tormenting to think that you're going to be persecuted, take the mark of a beast, have to flee to the mountain. How I many know it's not really comforting? Can you imagine? Imagine Jesus coming to you. Hey, you guys, you're going to be tortured, tormented. Your head's going to be cut off. Comfort one another with these words. That doesn't make sense at all. It's only comforting if you escape those things. Reason number two. The tribulation is called the outpouring of the wrath of the Lamb and God. And we're not called or appointed to wrath. The tribulation is consistently called the wrath of God. Look at Revelation 14 verse 10. Verse 19, 15, verse 1, verse 7, 16, verse 1, verse 19, chapter 19, verse 15. Let me just read one of them. Revelation 6, 16. And said to the mountains, this is the people on the earth, and rocks, fall on us. How many know that's not comforting? And hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Over and over through the whole from chapter 6 to 19, the tribulation is called the wrath of God or the wrath of the Lamb. But guess what the, what the same guy who told us, hey, you know, comfort one another with these words. He said this. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. For God has not appointed us to wrath. Now, what, what, what did Jesus, what does the Bible call the tribulation? It's called the wrath of what? And then Paul says, hey, 
We're not appointed to what? Go to verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves. Now, doesn't that make sense? Why is he saying to be comforted? Because you're not called to experience that wrath. There's a hiding place called the rapture. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous hide and they are safe. But definitely the wrath of God is for the unbelievers. Look at this, Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against who? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Look at Romans 13.4. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon them that do evil. Ephesians 5.6. Let no man deceive you. And I'm telling you right now, let no man deceive you. For vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now the tribulation is called the wrath of God, but who is it for? The children of disobedience. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, the wrath of God is for the children of disobedience. Okay, now look forward. Now are you evil or are you good? Then you'll know who it's for. So when Christians say, watch, see, this is what I'm saying. Your eschatology, you have to be careful. I believe we're going through the, through the rapture. I believe we're going through the tribulation. I believe I'm going to be here. I'm going to see the Antichrist. Okay, when you say that, you're calling yourself a child of disobedience. Because wrath is only for the children of disobedience. And you know what? I believe you might be here. You'll get that in a minute. If, you, if we went over the seven churches and Jesus did threaten some of them, right? You may, maybe you will be here. So buy some more ramen. Stock it up. Reason number three. Are you guys enjoying this? See, I got to beat this. I'm going to beat this thing so to the pulp so that you don't doubt about a rapture. Because you can walk right out here and listen to a radio and they'll start telling you all this craziness that us Christians, we've replaced Israel, that there's no rapture. We're going to be here to the end. Okay. I'm going to be here to the end, but in a different form. I'm going to be, come on, in my X-Men suit, according to the scriptures. That's a whole other story. Let me not get off. Reason three. The rapture before the tribulation is illustrated. How many know that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed? So the Old Testament will have a shadow of the rapture, and they're all over the place. So if you look at Genesis 19, we see angels delivering Lot and his family before the destruction of Sodom. Look at that picture, that fiery destruction. But isn't it interesting that the angels told Lot, we can't do anything until you're taken out of here. Why? Because even in Abraham's prayer, he reveals why. He says, Lord, it's not like you to judge the wicked with the righteous. So even though there wasn't 10, there were at least three. And he says, I'm not letting you suffer what they're going to suffer. And look at what's behind them while they're walking forward. That's a type of the rapture because they were caught out of it. Are you following? They were literally seized. Eager. I mean, they were, remember, rapture means to be grabbed. They were literally grabbed by the angels. Go read the scripture. They were pulled out. Now, here's what's interesting. Look at 2 Peter 2.9. It says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. Underline temptation. Guess what that word is? It's tribulation. That the Lord knows how to deliver those out of what? Tribulation. Didn't Jesus say he compared the last days to the days of Lot? Why would he compare them to the days of Lot? Because Lot was taken out of the judgment. And he's saying, hey, there's going to be a group of people like Lot's day. They won't experience it. Amen. Amen. Reason number four, we have another Old Testament shadow, Enoch. Enoch was taken to heaven prior to the flood, which again, Jesus said the flood was a type of tribulation. He says, like the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man, right? Genesis chapter 5 verse 24 says, and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. And we don't really, you know, it doesn't make sense until you go to the book of Hebrews and it tells you he was literally translated. He was literally caught up, raptured. So Enoch is a type of the church, because Jesus said, look for it, that during the days of Noah, during the days of tribulation, he was kept from the tribulation and he was caught up. Come on. So Enoch is a type of the church, which is one man. Amen. So I have to ask you, was Enoch pre-flood, post-flood, or mid-flood tribulation? Right, come on. See how silly that is? Because in the middle of the flood, there's no boat. Come on, talk to me. End of the boat, end of the flood, it's too late. Come on. So I think it's safe to say that Enoch was pre-flood rapture, okay? Now, follow me. You know what people say? No, Joseph, you got that wrong because Noah went through it. 
And I have to go, you're absolutely right. He went through the flood. However, that's because he represented Israel. Israel will go through the tribulation. See, this is why we got to go back over these scriptures. So one was taken out the church, but Noah, who represents Israel, went through it. God did protect him. And we find later on that God protects Israel. Remember, they run to the hills to Petra. Anyways, we haven't covered it yet, but we'll get there. Man, this is so good. We're going for another one. Remember, because the Old Testament is the, Old, is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament, the Old Testament revealed. If you go to Daniel chapter 3 is my reason number 5. In Daniel number 3, you have these three Hebrew children. Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. Come on, talk to me. That's how Eddie James told me this story. He told me it was Meshach, Shadrach, and a bad Negro. That's how his mother taught him this story. I said, Eddie, you crazy. If you don't know Eddie, he's a, he's a worship leader, African-American, my best friend. So that's how he taught it to me. Amen. But what's crazy about this is we know the story. They were placed in a fiery furnace, right? Turned up seven times hotter. And, of course, who appears in the midst? The Son of Man. You see the picture. I have a question for you. There's someone missing. Where's Daniel? Did you know the scripture doesn't say nothing about Daniel? Does it say nothing? I believe because it's a shadow of the rapture. Daniel taken out. In fact, scholars have to just guess. They think he might have been out of town, but the scripture doesn't say. So again, you see another type of tribulation by fire, and one of them is kept out of it completely. Hidden. Literally hidden. It's interesting because the festival of trumpets, one of its, are you ready for this? One of, it's called the hidden day, and according to Paul the Apostle, the festival of trumpets is when the rapture happens. Interesting. Now I went way too ahead, but anyways. Reason number seven. Are you ready for number seven? Oh, no, we're on six, right? Reason number six. Jesus told us to pray that we'd be raptured before the tribulation. He actually told us to pray that we wouldn't go through it. Look at, and speaking of the tribulation is all of it discourse. Look at Jesus said, Luke 21, 36, in the context, he's talking about the tribulation. Watch ye therefore and pray ye always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, why would he say, pray that you don't... You're not there. Pray that you're worthy. To, why would he say that if you can't escape? That's a dumb prayer. Why would he have us pray something that will never be answered? Because guess what? There will be people who escape. It's called the church. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 tells us how. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. I will keep, keep saying that. Reason number seven. I'm going to have to move a little faster. The pre-tribulation rapture makes sense historically and scripturally. One of the things that people don't understand is the Old New Testament is a story of a wedding. And many times the Bible uses wedding terminology, but because you don't know about the Jewish wedding, you don't realize it's even talking about it. And the book of Revelation, full of Jewish wedding. Let me give you an example. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in detail in Revelation 19 when we get there, but I need to give you this because then you understand about the rapture. When a young man wanted to get married, he would go to his woman, the woman he wanted to marry, he wanted to get betrothed to, and he would say, I go to prepare a place for you. For in my father's house, there's many rooms. I'm going to prepare one for you so that where I am, you may be there also. Um, does that sound familiar? Yeah, because Jesus said that to the church. Or not to the church. At that time, he was preaching it when he was a preacher on the earth. And every Jew that heard, they go, he's engaging himself to us. He's literally getting engaged to us. He was giving the words of the groom to us. Now, follow this. So once he would do that, she would, she would, you know, she would accept, and there, there's a lot more detail, but, I'll, but I'm just going to skip some of that. What happened is he had to go away for a year. She had to learn how to prepare for him, learn how to put on makeup, learn how to cook, all this. She did all that, but she always had to be ready because what would happen is he would go for a year, come on, and he would have to prepare the home. He would add to his father's house because he wasn't rich enough yet. So he would add a room to his father's house. And as he's adding this room, he did not know the day or the hour when to get her because only the father did, because only the father could tell him when he was ready. Um, does that sound familiar? Have you not heard that? No man, no. It's a wedding term. We're married to someone. You're engaged to someone. And so he, every day, go, Father, am I ready? He goes, no, it's, it's not ready. You still need to do this. And then one day the father would inspect it. He would say, Son, you're ready. Go get your bride. Come on. And so guess what he would do? He would get all the groomsmen, and usually they would do it at night, at the midnight, because, you know, they, they would hype it up. So at the midnight, they're blowing a trumpet. 
it. He's going to get his women. All the girls here, and they had to have all their garments right next to him. So they would slip on their white garments, the wedding garment, and, and all the bridesmaids. And now they would get the bride because they don't want her to miss the bride. They don't want her to miss the wedding. Amen? So they're running out, and here comes the guy. You can imagine the excitement. He's finally going to consummate his marriage to this wonderful woman. He's coming with all his guys. Ah! Right? And, and the girls are waking up. Everyone's waking up. Everyone's about to celebrate. And here's what's crazy. When the girl, here comes the bride, and she's looking beautiful right here. And all the girls, it's middle of the night, but they're prepared. They're ready. They had their lamps ready. And all of a sudden, the groomsmen, they come out from behind the, 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 the groom, and they have this big chair. It's called the queen's chair. And they put her on the chair. Are you ready for this? And the groomsmen lift her up, and she's not allowed to touch the floor until she gets to the father's house. She flies from the earth to the father. Okay, okay. She consummates the marriage. They consummate it for seven days. That's a lot of lovemaking. They can't come out for seven days. Man, I wish we had that time now. Come on. What's my point? That seven days, he's with his bride, represents the seven years. It's a picture. Are you following me? When you understand that this is why I teach you the Jewish customs, because you got to put it all together. It's actually very beautiful. And that's exactly what's going to happen to us. That's why in Revelation 19, before Jesus comes down to earth, you'll read the marriage supper of the Lamb is happening. Why? Because we've been for seven years partying with Jesus. Right? And now we come back with him on these white horses. Are you following me? Again, I don't know why people believe in a mid-trib or post-trib rapture. You have to destroy all the pictures that God has put throughout Genesis to Revelation. And I didn't give you the full details. When we get to Revelation 19, I'll give you more. You guys like that stuff? Reason number nine. Are you ready? Reason number nine. The pre-tribulation rapture allows for the conditional aspect of the tribulation. In other words, you know when people say, well, I might be here? Well, you might because it's, it's conditional. Notice to the church at Thyatira, Jesus said, if you don't repent, you will experience tribulation. Look at Revelation 2.22. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and then that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. We went over all this, and Jesus said, all you Christians who believe it's all right just to mess around and commit fornication, holding the doctrine of Jezebel and the Nicolaitans and, and all those. And remember, we talked about that. The pastor, come on, we already covered that. Okay, but he said, if you don't repent, you will be left behind. I will cast you in tribulation. So again, if everyone's going through tribulation, then that's not a threat. <laughs> Bring it on, Jesus. We're all going anyways. Are you following what I'm saying? Again, that's another proof that the church is not going to what? Be there. Okay, number nine. Pre-tribulation rapture allows for the... Oh, we read that one. Sorry about that. Number 10. Pre-tribulation rapture allows for the unknown time of the Lord's return. Okay. What does that mean? If Here's what's crazy. According to the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, the day that the Antichrist comes into the temple and puts an idol of himself in there, it's called the desecration, abomination of desecration, okay? He tells us exactly how many days. It's 1,260 days or three and a half years. He tells us exactly from that time to the coming of the Lord, the second coming. Okay. First Thessalonians 5.2 says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Matthew 24.36, But of that day and hour no man knows, not, um, not man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So who knows the rapture of the Lord? No one knows the day, right? But we all know the second coming. It tells us, it actually tells us how many days. It's exactly 1260 days from the time that the Antichrist puts his idol in there. That's how we know that the second coming and the rapture is not the same thing. The moment you hear, see in the news, some guy, you see he puts an idol of himself in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. You go, we have 1260 days. Jesus is coming back and he will. So obviously it's not referring to his second coming. The rapture is the day that no one knows the day or hour. It's imminent. It can happen right now. It might happen while you're falling asleep in church right now. Come on, talk to me. <laughs> Revelation, Revelation, reason number 11. The tribulation is unnecessary for the church. Why? Look at Jeremiah 30, verse 7. You have to look at this, and you have to write this down. It's talking about the tribulation, and notice what it calls it. Alas, for that day is great. So that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. 
Notice, whose trouble is it? Whose trouble? Jacob is Israel. So the tribulation is called Israel's trouble, not the church's trouble. So again, we see a reference that during the tribulation, the, the Israel's here, the church isn't. And again, you got to understand why. Because God has promised that every Jew will come to Christ. But it comes to tribulation. And even Paul wrote about in that day, all Israel shall be saved. In Zechariah, he says, and they will look upon me whom they have pierced in my coming. And they will mourn for me as they do for their only son. All Israel. But they have to go through persecution to get there. But the church is already saved. So that we're in heaven enjoying our marriage supper of the Lamb while Israel on earth is going through trials so that they can come to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because even most of you know, most Jews do not believe in their Messiah. See, the more you study, okay, can I get off my notes for a minute? Okay. If we're here, why does it need 144,000 Jews to witness on the earth? Hello, because we're not here. Our YouTube channels are left behind, and they refer to it, but come on, talk to me. They can look at old streaming, hey, pastor preach, but I'm not here. That's so why I'm preaching really good because someday someone, they might be in an archive where people are studying this during this time. And I mean that seriously. It's why I got the HD camera. I'm serious. I'm being totally serious. That's why I got the HD camera. So I wanted to make sure that when we're gone, people can know what they're experiencing, what's about to happen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. Reason number 12. Are you ready? The pre-tribulation rapture coincides with the prophecy of Daniel. Now, I covered this. It's very complex. Can we show the picture of Daniel's 70 weeks? Basically, all of Israel was covered in a, a prophecy called Daniel 70 weeks. And according to the prophecy, it would take 69 weeks for the Messiah appear. And he actually gives the exact amount of days. And when you study Daniel's prophecy, there's a, there's a gap between the 69th and 70th week. There's 70 weeks. And when you look at 69 weeks, go back, go back to before... Exactly on April 6, 32 AD, was when 173, 880 days from the day that Israel was declared to go back home, did Jesus come on a donkey and declare himself as king, exactly like Daniel prophesied. He, he named the days. You can't repeat this because it already happened. Now, here's the part what makes it. Now, that's why, in fact, people who are so anti, Jews that are anti-Jesus, they actually have curses that say, Cursed is he that understands Daniel's prophecy. Because it points to who? Jesus. But there's one week left. There's 70 weeks. There's one week left. And each week, according to the scripture, represents a year. So there's seven years left. In between the 69th and 70th week is where we're at right now. We call it the time of the Gentiles. The time clock's on pause. So when does that 70th week kick in? Oh, I'm glad you asked. The 70th week kicks in when the Antichrist, according to Daniel, makes a seven-year peace contract with Israel, the 70th week has just begun. Are you following me? We have one set of years left. And you're saying, Pastor, why is that so important? Here's why. The 69 weeks had nothing to do with the church, so why would the 70th week have anything to do with the church? It doesn't, because we're caught up. We're not even here on the earth. He goes back to Israel. He's now ministering to Israel again during the tribulation. Are you following me? So now I said a lot there, and I covered this, but I can't always cover the details. It literally would take an hour for me to break that down. But the prophecy is telling us we're not here. Are you ready for the last one? And then we're, we're done for the day. A pre-tribulation rapture viewpoint makes one seek first the kingdom. In other words, if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, it will cause you to seek the Lord. Notice Matthew 24, 44 through 46. This is our last verse. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. When then is, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is he, that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, find him so doing so. So the scripture says, who is the one that's going to have authority and purpose in eternity? It says the one that's looking for his Lord's coming. Your personal viewpoint on the rapture will determine who you're seeking. If you believe that there's a rapture and it can happen any moment, you're living your life that way. Hey, he can come any moment. I need to straighten my life up. And I'm constantly looking for Christ because today might be the day. It makes me want to witness because I don't want my loved ones left here. Now, if you really don't believe in that, you're not witnessing, you're lazy and you're just sitting and when I give you those cards, you're not even giving them out. Because you don't, 
you may have an understanding, but you don't have a revelation. A revelation that you really realize he can come at any moment. But if you believe in the second coming without a rapture, then you're not looking for the Lord. You're looking for the Antichrist because you know that's who's coming next. Your whole thought process on, okay, the Antichrist come, I got to prepare for this, I got to prepare for that. Your whole thought process is different because you're preparing for the Antichrist, for the mark of the beast. You're not preparing for Jesus because according to your eschatology, that's what comes next. Oh my God, I just said a lot right there. Did you hear what I said? But we're supposed to focus on Jesus. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he says, if you're looking for Jesus, your conversation is going to be on heaven. But if you're looking out for the Antichrist, you're all about the news, about guns and, and food. And, and, and come on, talk to me. It's not about heaven. You're preparing for battle on earth. But he says, but those who are looking for his appearance, their conversation's in heaven because that's where you're going to be. Even the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, says, I want you to look for Jesus every day. Where's that? 1 John 3, 3. And every man that hath this hope. What hope? The coming of the Lord. In him he purifies himself even as he is pure. So according to the scripture, those who are looking for the Lord are purifying themselves. Why? Again, because he can come at any moment. We're, We're to live in constant expectation of Jesus' return. Isn't it crazy that we read quotes and at least Those three quotes we read from, from the early church fathers, they were experiencing persecution like never before. And even though believers were dying left and right, yet they still believe Christ can come at any moment because this isn't the great tribulation. We're experiencing it, but this ain't the great. In fact, there's a special reward for those who love his appearing. Come on, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, last scripture, and we're done. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Okay, how do you get this crown of righteousness? He gives you the qualifications in this verse, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, so that's not just for Paul, it's for all of us, but unto all them that also love his appearing. Did you know there's a crown just for, God, I can't wait for you to come back. I, I look for your second coming. I look for the rapture. I look for you. Do you hear what I'm saying? But there's some that won't get that crown. There's a lot of Christians won't because they, they really didn't want it. Oh, they're going to heaven. They love Jesus, but not enough that they want him to come today. You hear what I'm saying? There's a lot of, I believe a lot of the church is guilty of that right now. We're not really living like he's coming today. That's why you need a preacher to preach these messages. That's why you need someone to prick you, prick your conscience, saying, hey, come on, wake up. Get ready because the Lord can come at any moment. Most churches aren't even preaching. They're saying, no, the Lord will come at the same coming, so we'll know exactly when he comes. The moment we see that contract with Antichrist, we have seven years. So let, no. The doctrine of the rapture is what? He can come at what? Remember when James said, hey, when you say you're going to go over here and there, don't say that because you don't know if you are. He said, if the Lord be willing. Remember? Let's stand in the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you. So now you know why it's called rapture to the throne. We covered one verse. Chapter 4, verse 1. Next week, we're going to cover the rest of the verses. But he's still on the throne, so it'll be rapture to the throne part 2. And you're going to meet some interesting folk. You're going to meet some beasts that have eyes all over the place. We're going to find out who the 24 elders are. You're going to find out that these seven spirits that burn like lamps... What are they there for? Oh, we're going to have a great time. Amen. Father, we come into your presence and we thank you for the word of God. Lord, I did my best to teach your word so that people will hear it. I pray that you'd write your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We completely surrender to you. We completely give our lives over to you. And we thank you for your goodness and your mercy because it endures forever. Can we have the altar workers? And I'm so happy because we're 20 minutes early. You're going to get out early today. Isn't that great? That's rare, right? But since we have a little bit of time, if you don't know, if you're to die today, you'd go with Jesus. You'd go to heaven. If you don't know that, you really aren't sure. We need to make that right today. If you're saying, Pastor, I love the Lord, but you know what? I don't know. I, I don't know where I'd go if I was to die today. If that's you, will you just raise your hand and be honest? Say, you know, that's me. I'm not really sure. Because we'll make sure before you leave, you'll know. 
Is there anybody in here like that? Amen. I don't, I don't see a hand at all. I don't see one. That's not a bad thing. That means you all, let me put it this way. If you know you're going to heaven, raise your hand. Let me see that one. Okay, look around. See if there's any hand that's down. If there's any hand that's down, we're going to get you. We're going to grab you. We're going to get you saved. Amen. So is there, was everybody's hands up? Amen. Okay, all right. A famous Christian comedian, when he would preach on the rapture, he says, in the rapture, I'm going to save at least two more people. You know how he said he was going to do it? Right as he begins to ascend, he's going to grab one sinner by the neck and another sinner by the neck. And as he's floating up, he says, receive Jesus or I'll let you go. <laughs> and that's what I was about to do to you today. But there may be some of you that are watching online and you don't know Jesus. Can we bring people to Christ together? Because even if they're not in this room, they're online, in the future, they're watching through multimedia, let's lead them in this sinner's prayer. Let's all say this together. Say, Father, we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, for my sins, that he rose again three days later. I completely give you my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I receive you. And I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand of praise. Amen. You know, it's, I know we're, we're eating spiritual food. I feel like full. Like I literally feel like I had a big meal. How many of you feel full today? Amen. Amen. We're going to do two things. Um, first, when, I'm going to pray a prayer of exit and we're going to, we can leave. But if you want prayer, I'm gonna, my altar workers are going to stay here. We're going to pray for whatever need you have. They will be singing and we'll be worshiping. But the second thing I just want to remind you simply is don't forget tonight. Amen. Tonight is, co is Code Breakers. We now call it Prophetic Insights. We'll be sharing Prophetic Insights on the death of Billy Graham. I also, I was, um, hmm, I, had, I was taken in a vision two weeks ago and I might share it. Coax me. Encourage me. Let me see. Come tonight and you can hear a vision out of this world that I was taken and it might mean something to you. And so I might talk about that tonight too. See how much time we have in the end. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We give you worship. We give you praise. Father, give everyone traveling mercies. Protect them. Heal the bodies in this house. We love you so much. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. Come on, touch your neighbor real quick. Let's touch your neighbor. Father, we bless your neighbor. We speak healing. We speak hope. We speak prosperity. Neighbor, look at neighbor. Say, neighbor, you are blessed coming in and going out. I break every curse of death, poverty, sickness. For he who the Lord sets free is free indeed. Be free in Jesus' name. Come on, high-five them and you're excused in the name of the Lord. Amen. Hello, I'm Dr. Joseph Kern and welcome to A Radiant Moment. Get ready to receive helpful insights and a relevant word for today's world. For service times, live streaming, and location, visit us online at RadiantLifeAZ.com. Now, let's listen in as we bring you a powerful and dynamic word for your life today. This is A Radiant Moment with Dr. Joseph Kern. We thank you for your participation in another broadcast of A Radiant Moment. This broadcast is brought to you by the generous giving and donations of our listening audience. If this program has been a blessing to your life, you can help us expand our listening audience by giving a financial donation at RadiantLifeAZ.com. Simply click the online giving tab and fill out the amount God has placed in your heart. For service times, live streaming, and location, visit us online at RadiantLifeAZ.com. Tune in next time as we bring another relevant and radiant word for your life today. Until next time, and remember, God loves you. Thank you.